This podcast is sponsored by the Davenin Institute. Spring term courses begin April 11th. Find out more at DaveninInstitute.org and hear more at the conclusion of this podcast. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. You are listening to Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt, and I'm with you as always. Uh, I'm the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and uh, professor at Grove City College in uh, the barren but beautiful um, lands of, of Western Virginia. That's kind of an odd way to Western Virginia, Western, Western Pennsylvania, West Pennsylvania, please. Come on. <laughs> Can I just do a disclaimer? I mean, I just I'll ran into my house. I just ran into my house after, after attending to things that I have to attend to, uh, concerning what I, what I do for a living. So that I'm coherent at all, Carl. Um, is uh, is a good thing. I, I would never consider you coherent, Todd. Well, mildly so at best. But um, I, I mean, Carl's already talking. So um, I mean, <laughs> uh, but, but I think it's because you're just trying to help me out. You're just trying to rescue me at this point. Aren't yeah, you? and I just want to bring listeners' attention to the fact that you're not just a pastor. You are a major pastor. So according oh, to Megan Bashan, my words, the words of the Daily Wire. <laughs> according to Megan Bashan over at the uh, over at the Daily Wire, I'm a major pastor. Now I have alerted the staff at the church I serve um, to that fact, and um, we're getting new business cards and everything um, yeah. drawn up with my friends. I I insist that they not keep it super formal. You know, they ask me should should we call you Major Pastor Todd or Major Pastor Pruitt. That kind of thing, and I said, you know, let's keep it informal. Call me Major Pastor Todd Pruitt, and um, I and for all my friends, I think I think would be comfortable with that instead of I, I just understand. Major Pastor Pruitt. That's just very formal. I'm not comfortable with that. Major Pastor uh, Todd Pruitt would be the better way to it's, go. Yeah, it's. I, I have to say, I have, I have I've been toe to toe with Megan Basham a couple of times. Huge respect and huge affection yeah. for her, and she does not allow personal feelings to get in the way of her savaging you. Uh, but I lost all respect for her to refer to as a major pastor. I think, man, Megan is seriously losing the plot at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing I found out is that if, if you ever publicly critique, uh, David French, his, uh, his supporters will come after you. It's like, it's like publicly critiquing Donald Trump on the other side of things. So, um, up until recently, the only thing I'd ever written about David French was a defense of him against Sarkari, <laughs> and he still comes after me. <laughs> well, you're a culture warrior, Carl. You are. So, a anyway, warrior. tell us about our guest today. Tom. Well, we're uh, excited uh, to uh, have on the program. Uh, now, there's some debate over the pronunciation of his name, and he tells us that there's a real German way to do it, in which you have to involve body language, and I think beer is involved, and that sort of thing. But um, Tony Ranke is our guest now. Tony has uh, has written a number of excellent books. For instance, his his book in a in the series from Crossway on um, uh, John Newton is is 
really well worth reading along with anything else I've, I've, I've read from Tony he has multiple interests. He's been with desiring God ministries for, well, goodness, Tony, we'll just bring you in. How long have you been with desiring God? A long uh, time. Haven't you? Just 10 years. Yeah. 10 oh, just years, 10 years. I was last thinking week. it was longer than that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But well, you only look about 15. So you that's true. You that, helps. That's, yeah. that helps. That helps. Well, uh, as I said, Tony's always worth reading. Um, and uh, you, you'll always benefit from reading one of his books. And his latest book, as soon as I saw Crossway uh, promoting it uh, a, a while back, it immediately uh, piqued my interest, as I think it should pique most people's interest, given the kinds of things we're, we're talking about these days and dealing with. But the title of Tony's new book is God, Technology, and the Christian Life. And um, I can tell you, it, it's, it's fascinating. I was just telling Tony before we came on that I, I can't think of a, of a weekly church staff meeting where we don't talk about some aspect of the crossroads between our lives, our ministries, our families, our relationships, et cetera, et cetera, and technology. And so um, I'm very thankful that he wrote the book and we're very thankful that he risked his reputation in coming on Mortification of Spin. So Tony, uh, <laughs> welcome. We are glad that you are here. I am honored to be on. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Well, um, technology, and in, in your first chapter, you kind of acknowledge this. I mean, technology is a rather broad term, mm -hmm. but for the sake of our audience, um, I, I thought you I thought you defined it and kind of captured some of the breadth of 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 the term technology in in some really kind of memorable ways. I wonder if you just help our folks um, think about uh, what technology is first of all before we get into some of the more nitty gritty. But what are we saying when we when we say technology? Yeah, technology is basically the amplification of uh, human volition. It's I want to do something, and now I have a power to do it more potently. And so I just bring in the story of David and Goliath as a great example of two technologists. I mean, these are two guys. Uh, we usually think of uh, Goliath as the technologist because he's shrouded in all of this technology that he's looted. He's basically looted from the ancient Near East world. Yeah. All this technology that he stands shrouded in. It's the greatest war tech. I mean, he is the F-22 Raptor. He is mm. the he is the leading technologist of his day. And Saul, of course, goes to David and says, here's my war tech. Why don't you try it on? And, and David tries it, but he doesn't have the technique. And if you don't have the technique, you can't use the technology because it requires some sort of a some skill with it. And so he says, no, I, I'm used to a sling. That's his technology, uh, which amplifies the power of his arm and what he's trying to do with his arm. Um, so it's a it's a more primitive, uh, more small scale tech. But for a sniper and a one on one combat, David proves to be the superior technologist in that moment. So Goliath, you wouldn't want to be 10 guys going at Goliath, but in a one on one duel. David proves to be the superior technologist. And so that's just a simple way to show just uh, how technology amplifies human dexterity. Yeah. That was, that was very helpful for me to read because typically when we, when we employ the word technology, people are thinking anything that runs by electricity or has a yeah. screen or is yeah. interactive or something like that. But, but really uh, technology goes back as far as any kind of human invention um, as primitive as, as, as you could go back. And, and also the way you explain it, I, I think helps set the stage for us to understand that while technology is not morally neutral, it can be morally good. Yeah. Um, but it can also be a, a moral nightmare, um, yep. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Melvin Kranzberg, who's the, uh, the late historian at, uh, uh, where was he? I think he was in Atlanta. He he had his six laws of technology. And the first law of technology was technology is neither good nor bad nor neutral. 
<laughs> it's like that I think is the that's the best way to say it. Yeah. Like saying technology is neutral really doesn't get us anywhere. Yeah. Saying technology is all evil doesn't get us anywhere. And even saying technology is neutral, I mean it doesn't it doesn't really help. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's just always more complicated than that. Right, right. Yeah. And one of the, the, the common mistakes I think a lot of people make about technology is assuming that it allows us to do the same things only faster or more efficiently. One of the things that I've pressed again and again when I talk about this stuff is, no, technology fundamentally changes our relationship to the world. Mm-hmm. My experience of emigration in 2001 was fundamentally different to somebody emigrating in 1600. Uh, I can emigrate and hear the voices of my parents 24 hours after I've emigrated by picking up the telephone. 1600, I emigrate. I'm never going to see my parents mm-hmm. again, never going to hear their voices yeah. again. Uh-oh. How do you communicate that message, Tony, when you're teaching on this, when you're talking to kids, talking to parents about technology? How do you get across this idea that, no, this is not simply making what we do already faster, cleaner, more efficient. It's fundamentally changing the way we relate to the environment and relate to each other. Yeah, I try to do that in um, my previous book, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You, where I lay out sort of when I did a search of my own heart and how I was using social media back in 2015, I started to realize there's all these patterns, some of them inherent in the technologies themselves um, that were uh, pushing me in certain directions, you know, like, um, I mean, just think of the platforms like Twitter pushes uh, you to be more sarcastic and subversive. I mean, you can just, you know, fire off a quick, subversive, sarcastic tweet, and that's going to get celebrated. Facebook celebrates more fringe thinking. You know, the more fringe, the better. The more you can rile up your audience, the better. Um, Instagram celebrates bodies. I mean, that that's if you're willing to show your body, you're going to get a following on Instagram. So each of the platforms has a certain bent and bias. Um, I think what I realized in writing this most recent book is that's true of every city. And I think it dawned on me when I was studying Revelation 2 and 3, and that is that each of the cities, each of the seven cities has idolatrous bents and biases inherent within them, that if you're going to be a Christian and live in ancient Ephesus, you're going to have to deal with those biases and bents within the city. So it's not as though now that we have apps, we have these uh, idolatrous tendencies and bents that we have to deal with uh, that nobody else has had to face these kinds of things in the past. That's essentially the struggle of the Christian in the city in Revelation chapter two and three. And so what I started to realize is um, as I was writing a quote unquote biblical theology of technology, what I realized what I was really doing is laying out a biblical theology of the city and God's relationship to it. And of course, that is fraught with all sorts of challenges from Genesis 4 to Revelation 18. I mean, God's relationship to the city is fraught with challenges and there's triumphs and tragedies. And it's just, it's, it's quite a story, but that essentially what I found out was as I was writing a biblical theology of technology, I was basically just following the storyline of the city. Yeah. Interesting. What, what, um, what, what do we learn about technology, particularly as it relates to um, God's supremacy of all things? What, what do we learn about this from Babel? For instance, you, you, you spend some time, I think giving some really helpful uh, thoughts regarding that, but how do we think about God's supremacy over all things, including uh-huh. technology and and what we read in Genesis about the account of Babel. Yeah, so in Genesis, when we, when we look at technology, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter four, which is the invention of you know three new industries that came from 
Cain's great, great, great grandchildren in Genesis four verses, you know, one to 26. When you look at uh, uh, the origin origin story of massive industries like the cattle industry, cattle breeding, which is, you know, like rudimentary genetics is already right there in that industry. We look at um, uh, professional music making. We look at uh, we look at the uh, professional music industry. We look at metallurgy. These are like industries that are coming about in Genesis chapter four. And it's because God is going to preserve Cain's lineage. God preserves Cain's lineage so that these industries can develop, which is very fascinating. So that's already in the works by the time you get into Genesis six in the flood account. And then Genesis 11, when you see this, the, the restart of humanity at the in the Tower of Babel, basically man saying we're not going to spread across the globe. We're going to unify into one um, one temple of human self glory, self worship, and God steps in and He doesn't just squelch it. But this is how this is how God is like. I'm I want a hundred thousand cities across the globe. How do I do it? I'm going to squash this one city. And so he sort of hacks the storyline so that instead of having one city, we have a hundred thousand of them or however many cities there are on the planet right now. There's a lot of them. And so he hacks it and he introduces culture. He introduces the different musical sounds that we have in different cultures, different languages. All of that is then um, originates out of him hacking Hmm. human rebellion. And so that's one of the stories. It's like he's not just trying to squelch it, stop it, pin it in and bound it. He's going to. And this is the same thing with the cross. He's going to step in and he's actually going to hack the whole thing for his greater redemptive purposes. And so that's just one of, I think, 12 major stories that we see in the Bible where God steps in and has some. He he reveals to us his relationship to human technology, uh, war technology in Isaiah 54. Um, I woke up this morning with the news going on in in um, uh, Russia and Ukraine and you know prayed for that situation and then went right into the uh, the third third of the book of Isaiah which is all about God's relationship to these geopolitical tensions and how mm-hmm. he's related in that somehow to bring about uh, a servant a bride for his son and so we don't know why exactly all these things happen but we do know in the end what the final purpose is he's bringing about a bride for his son in the geopolitical tensions um and so it's it's heartbreaking to see the news but you also realize he's revealed his relationship to these geopolitical tensions one question tony about uh the title of the book is God, Technology, and the Christian Life. Given the fact that all of our lives are technologized yeah, yeah. In, in deep and unavoidable ways now, and, and there is no place outside of technology where we can stand and, and, and look on technology and, and make that call good, bad. I know you say not neutral. It technology never exists in a neutral form. It's, yeah. it's always good, bad. Uh, how can Christians be discerning in this kind of context because mm-hmm. i often think about this in a sort of parallel case uh, a friend, friend of this program rod dreyer's benedict option the idea of withdrawal is is a great idea and has a lot of principles i think to mm-hmm. that make it attractive and commendable and yet at a practical level people have student loans they have mortgages yeah. Yeah. you know the idea of a complete withdrawal in an alternative community is is impossible in a highly connected society how do we stand above technology enough to be able to make critical and discerning yeah. decisions on what is good what is not good what is helpful what is not helpful 
Well, I mean, there's several responses to that because that's how it feels like there's another book that needs to be written on this in the sense that we live inside of a technium is kind of the word that's being used right now, which is we don't we don't only live inside of a tech not technological revolution, but we live inside this um, this sort of it's it's almost an uh, ecology. It's almost like a technological like. Uh, new life system that we live inside that's all interconnected and that's the challenge it's like if you go without a smartphone well how many things assume you have a smartphone you know your car does your security system does your thermostat does your you know your bank assumes you have one your um your school if you're in school assumes you have one like everything is built to the for the smartphone to the point where it becomes this ecological factor that if you if you displace it if you cut it out um, you just simply can't function within the technium. And I mean, that's <laughs> this is going to get worse and worse. Um, I mean, pretty soon your thermostat's going to be able to talk to your refrigerator is going to be able to talk to your smart smartphone and your car in the garage and your, you know, you name everything's going to be so interconnected that it's going to be impossible to even um, deselect anything out of the technium. And so I don't have a good answer for how do you escape the technium. Um, but as far as what do we as Christians do in this age, I think there's a number of things to say. First of all, um, I, I think it looks appealing um, when it comes to like Netflix, they come out with do these documentaries every once in a while, like the, uh, the social dilemma where um, basically the point of the documentary is uh, the algorithm made you do it. Uh, the app made yeah. you do it. Uh, the designers in Silicon Valley made you do it. And so I think one of the challenges that we have as Christian leaders is to break into that and say, well, that may be true that there's these sinful biases out there. Uh, but ultimately, we're dealing with things that we want and crave and desire in here in the heart. And so we can't excuse that. We've got to move into that and be like, okay, what does it mean to be a sinner who's been redeemed and being sanctified, who's not fully sanctified, who still struggles with sin? What does it mean then for us to be bent and twisted and pushed in this, this age where we do see these, these external challenges, these external uh, temptations, but do so with an awareness that the real problem is right in here. You know, if I go looking for porno pornography, it's not because the, the app made it real easy for me to get. It's because this heart wanted it. And that's true with social media. That's true with uh, um, the things we say behind people's backs on, on when we text others. Those are internal problems. And so that's what I kind of tried to deal with in 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. And then my other book, uh, Competing Spectacles of, of Life in This Age of Digital Spectacle Making That Never Ends. What do we do with those things? Let's deal with the heart issues. Because what I realized at the end of you know 2015 was kind of the year that I took away from social media and spent a lot of time away from smartphones phones and and really did some a deep dive into my own heart and how it works in this uh this technological economy and i came out of that realizing that my parenting was off in the sense that uh everything i was telling my my kids about smartphones was no uh, you're not going to have one for a long time which is good you need to have you know boundaries and, and parameters um but when they did have iPads because they needed it for school, um, you can't use it for this. You shouldn't do this on it. Let me let me tell you what not to do with it. And look at all these dangers about all of these different challenges that you need to avoid in the digital realm. And what I realized is I wasn't helping them with their own heart and their own appetites. And and I needed to take time. And that's the hard work of parenting is actually saying, yes, you know, there's parameters and boundaries that you need. And we're not going to give you a smartphone very quickly. Um, you have to be of a certain age and you have to prove yourself with um, the use of 
of a computer and use of an iPad before you ever get a smartphone. And um, so it was partly the fruit of me working on my own heart. And then it came to this realization later on that it's a stewardship issue. It's a stewardship issue in that I had only been saying negative things about digital media, about smartphones, about iPads. And that's all my kids uh, saw or heard from their dad. You know, the 12 ways his phone is changing him. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I had not addressed, number one, the, the common grace, goodness of the gifts. And I hadn't addressed the stewardship of the gifts. And so once I kind of addressed my own life, my own heart in 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You and then the book Competing Spectacles, this new book of God, Technology, and the Christian Life is me now saying, okay, I'm not going to blame the algorithm. I'm not going to blame Silicon Valley. There's heart issues that I needed to work through. And now on the other side of that, I can see God's glory shining in the smartphone, which gives me tremendous power to connect and serve and love other people. And now I can see God's generosity in the technologies like the ones we're using right now. Um, Um, And instead of always being hesitant and always seeing the dangers, I could see the gratitude uh, come up in my own heart for these gifts that God has given me. And then came the stewardship. It's like, whoa, okay, God has given me these things because he's called me to treasure him above all things and to love my neighbor as myself. And these are tools he's equipped me to use to that end. And Mm -hmm. so it was kind of this seven year process of, of working through the uh, yes, there's external pressures, but I need to deal with the internal sin problems that they, they raise and then to see the gratitude for the gifts and then to move into stewardship. And it took me from 2015 to 2022 to get there. Um, but that's essentially I didn't write a trilogy of books, but they all work in that in that way and how they build one to the next to the next. Yeah. You know, we we have tortured relationships with our with our smartphones, we have tortured yeah. relationships with social media and, and, uh, kind of all the time access to everybody. I, I, I will say though, um, um, it's better to be able to, um, know that, you know, one of my kids can call me, um, when they're out on the road, than them not being able to call me. I, yeah. I, even though my, my youngest child is 21, you know, I still get a call when, when, Hey, I need to know how to do this. Uh, our, our daughter, who's our oldest child lives in the Washington DC area. Hmm. I don't know, two years ago. Um, she, uh, she got a flat tire about nine o'clock at night, driving back to her apartment and it was raining outside in Washington DC. And she realized she'd never been in that situation, had no idea what to do. So she, what did she do? She called us and we walked her through the process of who to call. And they got out there and serviced her car and helped her and that kind of thing. So Th- literally thank god for that yes so yeah. grateful for but that you don't need a smartphone for that oh, would have done that. yeah <laughs> no doubt no doubt and i'm getting there i'm getting there um uh you know the the, the other thing is that um I, I have found in my work as a pastor was oftentimes when people are in sometimes in, in the midst of grieving that they actually appreciate a text more at that moment than they do a phone call Mm-hmm. Um, because I've been in situations and now I've, I've, I'm a little bit more discerning about it where I'll call, they won't answer the call. And then I'll get a text from them saying, Hey, I just can't talk right now, but thank you for calling me. Da, 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 da. And so, so some of those things I'm actually have, have made, um, the ability for people like me pastors to, to increase the, the kinds of touches we have with folks and yep. to actually have more effective types of way to connect than, than we did for so very grateful for all of that and we also know that technology doesn't make us sinners we're sinners yeah who then use technology sometimes poorly sometimes sometimes well 
and and here's as as I think about your 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 book on on how our our our, our smartphone has changed us. Um, one of the thoughts uh, that that came to mind is the idea of constant access. And my wife and I were talking about this several years ago. How grateful we were that we didn't have social media or smartphones. We and to Carl's point. We would have loved to have had non-smartphones. We not, and our parents would have loved that for you know just being able yeah. to always get a hold of us when we need to. But my wife made the observation, and I thought it was a really good one. She said, "You know, in high school, you know the way girls can get, you know, fight with one another and spread rumors and lots of drama." She said, "A lot of that was gotten over yeah. just on our way back to our own homes, and we weren't able to communicate with anybody." So, in other words, the the flames went down to little embers, and sometimes even we're smothered, but, but now yeah. a kid never needs to leave the drama because they're texting about it all the way home, all yeah. afternoon, all night. And that's an instance where technology that has wonderful applications can also very much take advantage of our, yeah. of our sinfulness and leading to incredible rates of depression among teen girls. Yes. Uh, who especially bear the brunt of that. And so you're exactly yes. right. I mean, I remember growing, growing up, there was tension at school, but as soon as you got home, it was a reprieve. Right. <laughs> right. And when you, once the summer vacation hit total mm-hmm. reprieve, when you were on family vacation. Yeah. We yeah. were on a family vacation five years ago. I think it was, and we were camping in this, uh, uh, this, drop pond and there was a, a waterfall is about 25 feet up um up in the uh northern minnesota it's just a beautiful area and uh we were enjoying the time and my son was like i want to go jump off that 25 foot waterfall into the uh, into the pool and the water's dark and we're like no way you'll be hit a you know, rock and and uh, break your neck no way yeah. you're going to do that and so um kids go off and play and my son's 15 at the time and uh uh it's we were there in the morning it was cool and then at high noon two road workers showed up and they were scuffed in asphalt and they just took their clothes down to their, their, their shorts. And they, one after another, just jumped off the 25 foot waterfall into the drop pond and then got up, drove away and uh, they just cooled off for the day. And so my son comes back to us and is like, mom and dad, you see it's safe. Let me do this. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll let you do this under one condition. And this is summer, summer break, summer vacation. I said, one condition. You can jump off the 25 foot waterfall, but we're not going to record it. I'm not going to record it on my phone. Mom's not going to record it on your phone and mom's not going to record it on her phone. We're not going to record it, but you can enjoy it. And he threw his arms up in the air. I remember this moment so clearly. This is the only time in my life when a sermon illustration was actually being born and I was watching it. Like I've never, it was a, like an, an out of body experience where I just knew I'm going to use this 12 to 15 times in the coming years. And so he throws his arms up in the, in the air and says, well, then what? is the point wow yeah. what's the point yeah. what would be the point of jumping off that cliff if it wasn't recorded yeah. and that's what it was all for his friends it yeah. wasn't for the experience it wasn't to enjoy it with his family on mm-hmm. summer vacation it was only to share with his friends and impress them on instagram or whatever snapchat yeah. um and so um we yeah he, he eventually did do the jump and he enjoyed right. it <laughs> that, that plays of course to the, the pathology of uh, performance yes we're all performers technology yeah, has, yep. made, has made us all i would say the students technology has made us all cut price oscar wilde we <laughs> like talent and wit but we live lives as if we're oscar wilde yeah, yeah. So. and things like snapchat well, and tiktok have only escalated that yeah exponentially because you get the dopamine hit of the instant approval right right yeah 
24 yeah. seven. In my case, whenever I see myself referenced on Twitter, the instant disapproval. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Hey, Tony, it's been uh, great talking to you. Thanks so much for being our guest today. We do want to commend you in your work, uh, both at Desiring God and in this very interesting and very practical and I think increasingly relevant field of reflecting upon technology. Every generation has its peculiar and unique challenges, and technology, I suspect, is one of the particular challenges we face today. So we want to recommend your book, God, Technology, and the Christian... I know we're holding it up because this is a podcast, not a videocast, but if it were a videocast, you'd never be able to see the cover of Tony's <laughs> book, uh, God, Technology, and the Christian Life. It's published by Crossway. Uh, if you go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, you can enter for a chance to win a copy there. If you do not win a copy, uh, please do not let that stop you from purchasing a copy. Uh, parents, grandparents, uh, thoughtful young people, everybody needs to think about the impact of technology on ourselves and on our loved ones. And this would be a, an excellent avenue into thinking at a deeper and uh, more reflective level on that. So. Thanks for being with us, Tony. Thank you to our listeners for joining us. If you do visit our webpage, please consider making a donation. We are a listener-supported podcast. In the meantime, all that remains is for me to thank you for listening and look forward to being with you next time. for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Well, great to have you on. Um, yeah, it's great to talk to you guys. Yeah. Carl, thank you for your book. It's outstanding. Oh, your most recent one. Thanks very much. Wow. It's, uh, the Mormons have just decided to officially sell it through their Deseret stores, apparently. What? So, uh, <laughs> I got a friend in the LDS who loved it and said, I'm going to no get it way. out of the LDS. <laughs> if we can just get the JWs on board. Or, uh, you know. And if I'm wrong and they're right and I get a planet after I die, I'm, I'm <laughs> It's <know>. a win. <laughs> Um, what Carl doesn't want anybody else to know right now is that he is wearing specialized um, LDS <laughs> undergarments at the moment. He has They're gone kosher. through the process yeah. just, just in, in case. case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Davenant Institute retrieves the wisdom of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. Through publications, events, and courses, they equip lay people, pastors, scholars, and Christian educators by connecting them with the theological, ethical, and cultural riches of Protestants' past. Through their online program, Davenant Hall, and their residential study center, Davenant House, they are reimagining theological education, providing two affordable graduate-level degree programs in classical Protestantism. 
Judaism. They also welcome anyone taking one-off courses in theology, church history, philosophy, and more. Online classes are taught by expert scholars in two-hour weekly Zoom sessions over 10 weeks from just $149 per class. Next Term's courses include the Reformation in the Modern World, Knowing and Naming the Holy Trinity, Discovering J.R.R. Tolkien, and many more. Spring Term courses begin April 11th and registration ends March 31st. Find out more at davenantinstitute.org. That's D-A-V-E-N-A-N-T, davenantinstitute.org. And on Facebook and Twitter.